Well, some things are so precious and so important that they need protecting. And the more important they are, uh, the more care goes into their protection. So, for example, they're not going to let just anyone uh, protect or guard the Mona Lisa. You're not going to find that job listed in the local rag in the classified section. No, to protect the Mona Lisa, they're going to want to ensure that they've got the best of the best. Uh, the guards, they're going to need training in crowd movement, crowd control, suspicious character assessment, defensive tactics, weapons retention, self-defence. But if you've ever had the privilege of viewing the Mona Lisa or something like it, have you noticed that you're not usually impressed by the guards. The elite training of the guard, their imposing figure, the seriousness of the guard, it doesn't in the end highlight to you how good the guard is. When we see a guard like that, we think, wow, they must be protecting something pretty valuable. Because the guard's not the main game. The Mona Lisa is. And you can tell by who they've got protecting it. Now that's the sort of thing that's going on in our passage today. In the verses we're looking at, there's lots in there about uh, elders in a church, how they're meant to be godly and how they're meant to know the truth really well, but they're not the main game because the elders are like the guards of the Mona Lisa. They're there to protect, not the Mona Lisa, something far more valuable. Elders are there to protect the church, the people of God. And you can tell the church is valuable by what it takes for someone to be an elder worthy of protecting it. Because, you see, God considers his people to be precious and important. You are valuable, worth protecting. So don't settle for some bozo to guard you. Now, the elder is to have two characteristics, two general categories that an elder must qualify in in order to be able to protect the church. Uh, Verse 5, we discover Paul left Titus in Crete to appoint elders in every town and the first characteristic of an elder is that he must be in charge of his family. His marriage and his children need to be in order. Have a look at verse 5. The reason I left you in Crete was that you might straighten out what was left unfinished and appoint elders in every town as I directed you. An elder must be blameless. The husband of but one wife a man whose children believe and are not open to the charge of being wild and disobedient. So if a man is to be an elder, he must be in charge of his family. He's the husband of but one wife. Literally, he's a one-woman man. In other words, he has an unsullied reputation in the whole area of sex and marriage. No one can accuse him of indiscretion or unfaithfulness He's the husband of but one wife, and his children are obedient. They're not reckless or wild, but children who believe and live in godliness. In short, an elder is to be in charge of his family, his sex life, his marriage, and his children, all in order. Now, why is an elder to be someone who's in charge of their family? Well, it's so that we know he's got some idea about leading people in the things of Christ. In 1 Timothy 3, where Paul says many similar things to Timothy as he does here to Titus, Paul says in 1 Timothy 3, an elder must manage his own family well and see that his children obey him with proper respect because if anyone does not know how to manage his own family, how can he take care of God's church? 
So if he can't manage those that he has most influence over, how will he be able to take care of those people he has less influence over? And so the first characteristic of an elder is that he must be in charge of his family. And the thing to notice here is that he's to be like this for the sake of the church. God wants his people well looked after. And if a man can't manage his own house, then he's not going to be able to look after the church. And so God says that an elder must be in charge of his family if he's going to look after God's people. Now, before we look at the second characteristic of an elder, it's worth noting the way that the Bible directs men to be elders and not women. Uh, It's a topic of uh, some controversy in our times. And I guess the first thing to say on this matter is that the Bible is incredibly pro-women. God values women, wants to save women just as much as he wants to save men and children. Over and over again throughout the Bible, God demands that women are to be looked after and respected and that women are in no way inferior to men. But the Bible's not embarrassed about the different roles of men and women. God throughout the Bible is clear that men are to take responsibility for women and children. That's part of what it means to be a man. We have to sacrifice ourselves so that women and children are protected and provided for. And that in particular, in the family and in the church, men are to stand up and be counted and assume responsibility for the care and the protection and the provision of the family and the church. Throughout the Bible, God's clear expectation is that men will be men and they'll stand up and they'll take responsibility. Now, unfortunately... Many men have taken their stand and done horrible things in the name of being in charge and supposedly looking after things. And maybe you've been a victim of that. And if that's so, that's terrible. But that's exactly why God is spelling out for us in detail here what an elder is to be like. Because he's to be a godly man. And the first characteristic of godliness in a man who is to be an elder is that he's to be godly in charge of his family, the husband of but one wife and one whose children who believe and aren't wild. The second characteristic of an elder is that he must also be in charge of himself. In verses 7 and 8, Paul rattles off a long list of qualities that an elder is to have, some things that he must not be like, some things that he must be like. And at their heart is that an elder is to be a man who is in charge of himself, that his sinful passions and desires must be under his control so that he can live out the truth in godliness. So have a look at verse 7. It starts off by talking about an overseer. Uh, Don't be uh, put off by that, though. Overseer and elder are just two terms for the same person and role. An overseer is an elder. So verse 7. Since an overseer is entrusted with God's work, he must be blameless. Not overbearing, not quick-tempered, not given to drunkenness, not violent, not pursuing dishonest gain. Rather, he must be hospitable, one who loves what is good, who is self-controlled, upright, holy and disciplined. So there's five things he must not be, six things he must be, but first, please notice the reason for it all. Right there at the beginning of verse 7, the elder is to be like this because he is entrusted with God's work. Again, it's the idea that an elder is to look after God's people. An elder is entrusted with God's work, the church. An elder is to protect her. These verses are all about God's care of his people. And so an elder must be blameless if he's to do God's work, 
to look after God's people. Now, blameless doesn't mean sinless. Uh, Blameless is just the idea of someone who's not marred by disgrace. Uh, Their life doesn't invite criticism. They have unquestioned integrity. And so how are they to be blameless? Well, first off, Paul says, here's five things they're not to be. Not overbearing. Not thinking of themselves better than other people. Not to be quick-tempered or given to anger. They're not to be given to drunkenness or violence and bullying. They're not to be pursuing dishonest gain, greedy for money. In other words, an elder is to be in charge of himself so that he doesn't give in to sinful desires or selfish gratification. He needs to be in charge of himself so he's not going to be someone who goes on a power trip once he's made an elder. He's not going to be bullying people, arrogantly belittling people, flying off people off the handle at people in a drunken rage, using his position to extract money. No, an elder is to be in charge of himself. And so in verse 8, Paul then rattles off six things that an elder must be. He's to be hospitable, to love what is good. An elder is to be self-controlled, behaving in a sensible manner. They're to be upright and holy, devoted to God and not devoted to themselves and getting whatever they want. An elder must be disciplined, self-controlled. All in all, it's a picture of the elder being someone who's in charge of himself, self-controlled, disciplined, not giving in to selfish desires, but able to devote himself to the good, to God, to others, so that he can look after the church. Soldiers in the army are trained and drilled to be focused on the task at hand. Uh, They need to be relied upon to do what's asked of them at a moment's notice. People's lives could be in the balance. Uh, If you're in the trenches and the guy beside you is, and you've got doubts about his focus and his reliability, well, that could be disastrous. In the heat of battle, the the army needs people who are self-controlled, in charge of themselves, able to devote themselves to the task at hand to protect those in their care. And in the heat of our Christian lives, battling for the survival of the faith of the people around you, God says we're to have elders, self-controlled, disciplined, in charge of themselves. And an elder is to be like this so that he can do his two tasks. An elder has two jobs to do. So let's have a look at verse 9. See if you can spot what his two tasks are. Verse 9. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. See his two tasks? To encourage others by sound doctrine and to refute those who oppose it. That's why he's to be someone who holds firmly to the message as it has been taught. That's why he's to be in charge of his family and in charge of himself. It's so that he can do these two tasks. And notice again that Paul's spelling out in detail what an elder is to be like and who he's meant to be, not because elders are more important, but for the sake of others. Elders are to encourage others in sound doctrine, to refute those who oppose it. Elders are just the guards. The church is the main game. Her protection is what God is wanting here. She's priceless, and so God says, get elders to look after my people, to encourage them in sound doctrine and to refute those who oppose it. 
And so an elder is to have one voice for the sheep, to gather them and encourage them. And he's to have another voice for the wolves and the thieves to drive them away. Now, an elder can't encourage God's people in the truth if he doesn't know the truth. He can't refute those who oppose it if he doesn't know it himself. And even if he does know it, if he's not living it, well, no one's going to listen to him. And so an elder is to hold firmly to the truth so that he can do his two tasks, to protect the truth, sorry, to protect the church by encouraging her in the truth and to protect the church by silencing those who oppose the truth. Now, the rest of the letter of Titus is really a fleshing out of verse 9, these two tasks of an elder. For the rest of chapter 1, Paul goes on to spell out how an elder is to refute those who oppose the truth. And then in chapters 2 and 3, which we'll look at in the next couple of weeks, Paul goes on to how God's people are to be encouraged in the truth. For now, we're just going to deal with elders refuting error from the rest of chapter 1. Because if you leave some things unchecked, well, they can become so bad that things get very serious. When you get a cut on your finger, usually it's just a minor thing. Uh, You put a Band-Aid on it and she'll be right. But if things go sour, your finger can get infected. You know, you get a bit of dirt or grime in there and it starts to get a bit sore, but you're thinking, it's just a cut. She'll be right. But then your finger starts to swell and throb and it gets that tight red look, maybe even a little bit pussy. But you remember, it's just a cut. She'll be right. Then it feels like it's going to explode and there's this tinge of green about it and your finger's one and a half times the size it normally is and finally you decide, well, maybe, maybe now's the time to go and see a doctor. Of course, when you do, the doctor has a hissy fit. Why didn't you come in earlier? We've got to fix this up easily. Now we've got to operate. A case of leaving something unchecked and eventually it becomes so bad, things get very serious. Well, that's what we have here in the last bit of Titus chapter 1. If people who oppose sound doctrine are left unchecked, then eventually things will become very serious. Because if false teaching is left unchecked, people can be led astray from Christ. People can lose their hope of eternal life in Christ. Lives can be ruined. And so elders are to refute those who oppose sound doctrine, to protect the church from them, to keep them in check. How do they go about it? Well, let's have a look again at verse 9, but we'll read on through to verse 14. Verse 9. He must hold firmly to the trustworthy message as it has been taught so that he can encourage others by sound doctrine and refute those who oppose it. For there are many rebellious people, mere talkers and deceivers, especially those of the circumcision group. They must be silenced because they're ruining whole households by teaching things they ought not to teach, and that for the sake of dishonest gain. Even one of their own prophets has said, Cretans are always liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons. This testimony is true. Therefore, rebuke them sharply so that they'll be sound in the faith and will pay no attention to Jewish myths or to the commands of those who reject the truth. Now notice that the people that Paul's talking about here are the exact opposite of what an elder is to be like. They're rebellious. Instead of submitting to God's truth, they're peddling their own version. Instead of being in charge of themselves, they're liars, evil brutes, lazy gluttons, peddling their message for dishonest gain. Instead of holding firmly to the trustworthy message, they're mere talkers and deceivers, teaching things they ought not to teach. 
And when you have people like this around, the church needs elders who can drive such teachers away. They must be silenced, Paul says. They must be rebuked sharply because they ruin whole households. They turn people away from the truth. They convince people to turn their backs on the hope of eternal life in Christ. They fool people into thinking that they can get eternal life without Jesus. False teachers can lead us on a merry dance of godlessness and judgment. We need protection. Heaven help us. Exactly. That's what these verses are all about. God's protection of his church through the elders. Because God wants his people to remain in the truth and to live out that truth in godliness. God wants his people to remain in the hope of eternal life. He doesn't want his people whisked away by some fancy half-truth. He doesn't want his people carried off by some fancy, clever presentation of something that seems to be true, but in the end is just smokes and mirrors. In Crete, whole households were having their faith overthrown, and so God said, appoint elders. Get men who know the truth. Get men who live the truth and get them to stand up and protect the church, to encourage the church in sound doctrine, to refute and rebuke and silence those who teach otherwise. Get men to protect the church. Now, most of us here are elders. And for those of us that are, reading a chapter like this is sobering work. But maybe you're sitting there and you're wondering what all this has to do with you and you need to remember that in this chapter, the elders aren't the main game. The church is. You can tell how valuable the Mona Lisa is by who they get to guard it. As we read this chapter, we're reminded that the church is incredibly precious and important to God. God wants us looked after. Really wants us looked after. He doesn't want just any bozo protecting us. That's why he tells us exactly what an elder is to be like, because you are far too valuable. Every now and then, Catherine and I go out to dinner, and we love doing that. But in order to do that, we need to arrange for someone to look after the kids. Now, our kids are precious to us. Uh, They're very important to us. And there's no way in the world that we would let just anyone babysit them while we go out to have dinner. The thought of walking down the street and asking for volunteers is as absurd as it is horrible. You just wouldn't do it. You know, little JJ, Bethy Boo, Alex, I can't just hand them into the care of anybody. Louise, Sue, May, Lorraine... Mark, God can't just hand you into the care of anybody, early church. So when it comes to appointing a new elder or a new minister here at DPC, make sure he's godly. Make sure he knows the truth. Because it's going to be his job to encourage you in the truth. It'll be his job to silence any false teachers that spring up. It'll be his job to protect us from ruin to keep us in the faith as much as he is able. And I think you can broaden this out a little bit more than than just elders. It's this sort of thing why here at DPC, we don't just let anyone be a Bible study group leader or a Sunday school teacher. 
Because we're entrusting to them the lives of the people in their group to encourage them in truth and godliness, to do all they can to help us to remain steadfast in our faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Because the church, you, are far too precious, far too important for God to just let anyone protect you. Forget the Mona Lisa. You are part of God's church. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for this reminder that you value and prize your church, your people. Father, we know this, of course, because you did not even spare your own son for us, but sent him to die and rise again from the dead, that we might be yours. But Father, we know that you value us as well because you tell us who should protect us. You tell us who are to be our elders and what they're to be like. And so, Father, we want to pray for the elders of DPC that you would give them wisdom, you would give them faithfulness, that you would give them a firm knowledge of your truth and that that knowledge would be, they would be being led into all godliness, that they would encourage us in sound doctrine and refute any who oppose it. Father, please protect us that we would remain faithful to you, our wonderful heavenly Father, Through Jesus Christ, our Saviour and our Lord. Amen.